Well, I'm going to want to talk with you today about a woman. She's going to become your friend. In fact, you've, uh, you've met her, at least her story. In fact, some of you have lived her story. Some of you are living it today. And if you aren't or haven't, you will at least walk with someone in this story. Just so happens, as we're going through Dr. Luke's account of Jesus' earthly life and ministry in the last few weeks or few months, we happen to land today at the most horrible day in a mom's life. And Jesus came and truly made it the greatest day ever for that mom. You're going to find in Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in a moment from verse 11, A woman in a little town called Nain, and that day she's on her way in a funeral procession with an open casket carrying her son off to a graveside service. This is the second funeral that she's gone to. She buried her husband. She's a widow, and now she's burying her son. Not just a child, as devastating as that would be, but a son, and not just a son, but her only son, leaving her in that culture utterly devastated. The son that was supposed to grow up, love his mom, care for her when she was sick, take care of her financially and feed her when she was hungry in an environment with no social security or retirement plans or social safety nets. And we find her with a whole town following on her way in the most horrible devastating, broken day of her life. I invite you to join me in reading her story. You'll find it in Luke chapter 7, verse 11. You can turn there in your Bibles or on your devices or take a look at the screen and follow along as I read these words. Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. And then he went up, and he touched the bier that they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. That's what they said. Wow. We would have, too, on this this Mother's Day that was nearly 2,000 years before our culture began celebrating it, he made her day. We learned some things about this woman. She's already had a wrecked life. It's gone from bad to worse. She's living in the middle of nowhere. Nain was further than the end of the road. Capernaum was small enough, 1,500 people. But Jesus was born in Nazareth, which was six miles away, 20 miles and six miles. The occupying Roman government didn't even think it was worthwhile collecting taxes there, so they didn't build a road to Nain. It was the end of the trail. When Jesus was followed on this day by this huge crowd of people, they must have had to go down from a wide Roman highway to a smaller dirt road to a tiny little trail as they made their dusty way to intersect this funeral procession. 
Everybody in this town was poor. She certainly was as well. Now she had lost her son. The grief was devastating as she was surrounded by these friends. I don't know what your story is today. I, I think about my mom today. I conducted her memorial service and her graveside service just a year ago now. This is a Mother's Day without mom. Some of you have said goodbye to moms or dads or husbands or wives or loved ones. But the loss on a day like today doesn't necessarily just mean death, does it? Loss comes in lots of ways. Some of you wish you were parents. You're not because of what God has allowed you to have in terms of a partner or because of infertility. Or maybe you became parents and that beautiful little child that came out has turned out making some choices that really cause you grief. Maybe grandparenting, that was your next generation chance at sheer joy and pleasure, was also filled with some adults, human or human people that were making some choices that were difficult. As I've been online and read emails and took phone calls and chatted with friends and read texts this week, I heard about someone who lost a job and a marriage that's gone south and a romantic relationship that hasn't turned out well Talked with a 30-something daughter trying to decide whether or not she wants to reconcile with her dad and not sure that she does. I talked with a sister who told us Thursday that our brother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, had emergency service uh, surgery on Friday. We're delighted to hear that the reports are good. Life happens to all of us, doesn't it? And if you haven't come today with your own story today, you certainly this week will be living alongside some other folks that will be experiencing theirs as well. I'll never know what it feels like to be this woman or a mom who's lost a child, but I've brushed close enough to that a time or two to have some sense of how devastating this day was for this mom. Many of you have heard my story of when I was five years old, awakened by my older sister Joyce in the middle of the night with the news that our parents had taken my older brother, 12-year-old Jim, off to the emergency room in the middle of the night. Joyce and I, we waited, and we waited for parents to come home. I saw my mom and dad as they came into the house at 2 a.m. telling us that Jim had died on the way to the ER. And I watched my mom as a five-year-old from two in the morning until dawn broke and later in the morning when a pastor came, a series of memories that are just seared into my mind of how I watched my mom begin to process this unspeakable loss in her life. Anne and I were married. We started a church. We were 23. We, we didn't have kids. I didn't know what that felt like to be a dad. We certainly didn't have grandkids. But I do remember that there was a young couple and they found each other in life and began to follow Jesus. And as a result of that, her mom and dad got interested in Christ and they began coming to this little church as well. And, and they gave their lives in faith to Christ. And so now it's two generations following Jesus. The couple gets pregnant. They have a little baby. I remember holding that tiny little bundle and dedicating her to the Lord with her parents on a Sunday morning. The little baby became a toddler. It was months later now. I remember the call. The parents, the grandparents, were enjoying coffee together in the grandparents' living room. They weren't attentive. It was too late when they went outside and found that the toddler had found her way to the pool. It was too late. It was the first time in my life that I, I had embraced someone in such grief that she could not stand 
and felt that mama fall to her knees in the deepest agony. Mm. Life happens, doesn't it? Wow. I want you to feel that for this woman today. And I want you to hear with me what Jesus does about that. Because this story about what he did for her is his story for you and the people you care about. So let's take a look. I got to do it right. There's only three observations. This finger right here gets away from me with three observations today that just come jumping right out. And Brad, don't you make any comments about it. It was the index finger that was getting away from me. I want you, I know what you youth pastors think. I know what you think about it. Let's take a look at these three observations today. Number one, I found it in verse 11. It's that Jesus went to a town called Nain. Why in the world did he go there? It's the only time in the Bible we hear about this place. It's the only time he went there. As far as we know, there wasn't even a synagogue for him to teach at. He only went there for one reason, and it was because he wanted to enter a mom's worst moment. That's why he went to Nain, because Jesus enters our worst moments. Jesus comes to her. She didn't send an invitation to him. He went out of his way. He, as far as we know, had never been there before or never returned there later. He went to Nain so he could come to her. Jesus goes out of his way to get to her. And everybody's mourning and they're grieving and the whole town has shut down and they're all following her and they're crying and the professional wailer is wailing and the flute players are playing the flutes and her friends are holding her as she's walking down the stony path to the burial site and her friends are grieving with her as well. The young man's friends are walking along with their memories and in grief and probably crying as well. It drips with sorrow and sadness and pain and Jesus shows up without an invitation because that's what Jesus does. He loves enough to choose to go and care and change and make a difference he comes even to people who don't ask for him. He comes to someone who was not seeking him. He comes and helps in an unbelievable way. He chose to get to her. He chose to love her. He chose to help because that's what Jesus does even before we need, know we need. God comes to find you in your worst moments. That's the first thing we discover. Second one that just jumps out of this story for me is in verse 13 where it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. <laughs> Jesus gets it. I want you to think with me about three English words, two of them in this point and the third one in the next and last observation that I want to make. The first word is sympathy. It's a powerful word. It's a word that means to feel about another's pain. It says, I feel for you. So let's imagine that Bob, just on the way out, stubs his toe, and we're walking together, Bob, and you wince, but because you're such a good, mature, holy man of God, you wouldn't even think bad thoughts. 
But I know that if I was Bob, I would wince and probably groan and maybe even have some thoughts. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm feeling for Bob, and so I'm feeling sympathy, and I express it this way. Bob, I really hurt for you, man. Now, is that a good thing? Absolutely. Yeah, when I'm hurting, I'm glad other people hurt. Share the misery, baby. Not pain to go around. Let's all be miserable together. Yeah, it's a good thing. I'm Bob's friend. I hurt for you, man. That's sympathy. It's personal point of view and my feeling about what he's feeling. I'm feeling bad for you. That's sympathy. That's a good thing. The second word is empathy. Empathy is where now I enter into the experience of the thoughts and the feelings and the situation of another person. So, now Phil has stubbed his toe. And uh, because he's such a holy, righteous man, he hasn't said anything bad either. And I express sympathy to Phil and I say, Phil, I really hurt for you, man. And then I can also empathize. And I can say, I remember the last time I stubbed my toe. And you're manning up a whole lot better than I did. That really, really hurts, doesn't it? See what I've done? I've shifted the point of view from my experience into what he's experiencing. And that's what Jesus does in this story. He enters into her pain. And his heart goes out to her. And because of that, he's able to say to her, don't cry. I get you. But don't cry. And the reason is the third, the third observation that comes to mind. And that comes out of verse 16. What everybody had to say about Jesus was this. God has come to help his people. He can say to her, don't cry because he knows what he's going to do. Not because he's insensitive to the pain. He shares that with her. But because he knows what he's going to do, Jesus helps He comes to help, which brings us to the third word of English. It's also used by Jesus frequently in the Gospels, uh, uh, translated into our word for compassion. So here it is. Sympathy says, I feel for you in your pain. Empathy says, I feel with you what you're experiencing. But here's compassion. Compassion says, I hurt for you and feel with you. And I am capable and motivated to do something to alleviate that pain. That's compassion. So the gospel writers say it this way. He had compassion on them. And so he moved with compassion and fill in the blank, whatever he did. Because compassion always motivates us to action. Jesus comes to help. That's what we learn about him. And so he shows up and he does this horribly disruptive, culturally insensitive, inappropriate thing. He interrupts the funeral perception. Perception. And if, if there were any religious people around, they would have given you 115 things that he did wrong in the next 15 seconds. 
because he came bursting in, uninvited, disrupts it. The whole procession stops. These pallbearers, there would have been four of them, this bear, sometimes it's, some of your Bibles it's translated casket. That doesn't help us very much. It was actually probably a couple of planks. It's more like a pallet. A couple of planks that are fit together and they're holding on the four ends. It's like a broad board. And this dead body has been wrapped in a shroud lightly. You can still see all of his features, but he's laying in this shroud. It's an open casket in other words. And the religious people said this about dead things. And certainly rabbis like Jesus should have known this. You don't touch dead things because you'll be defiled. You don't touch the body. You don't touch the pallet that he's on. You don't even touch the pallbearers because you'll be ceremoniously unclean. This is where dusty religion has it so horribly wrong. Dusty religion says you need to be alive before God will relate to you. You need to be cleaned up before God will relate to you. You need to go to church at least two out of four weekends before your prayers are going to be answered. You know that tipping thing when the basket goes by? Mm-mm, you know, Brad comes going to come up and he's going to talk about tithing. You better give the way, Pastor Brad says. Or You know how the deal goes, don't you? I got to be porn free for so many days or so many weeks before I would dare come to God. Do you see how crusty and dusty and religious and wrong that is? Do you see that Jesus goes out of his way to a dusty, know-nothing town, to a woman who is absolutely at the bottom of the social strata at the worst day of her life, and he comes right to the open casket and he touches this dead stuff? That's what he does because he's come to help. He has come to help people on their worst day, at the worst place, in their darkest moment, in the most shameful, embarrassing, unsuccessful, failing place of your life. Do you see what that name is all about? It's where he comes and brings his mercy and his grace to help in our time of need. Wow, well... Those are the three observations that came to mind. Let's wrap things up by talking about the so what. So what does that mean to our life? And let's make an application or two out of each of those three observations. The first one's this. Jesus is in your dark place. Yeah. He's not just where you're smiling. He's not where you're good. He's not where you're getting better. He's not where you're disciplined. He's glorified in those things. But today, where he's rushing to be is in your dark point, your failure, your grief, your sorrow, your regrets, your frustration, your confusion, and your doubts. What a place to find God, huh? Some of you are here today. Your life is wrecked. Jesus comes to meet with you. Some of you here today know people this week. You're going to live life with them, and you're going to be there for them, just as this woman's community was there for her. What you need to know is this. Jesus can and does initiate and seek and pursue and find and help people at the toughest point in their life. And he finds wrecked people and he restores. God has come to help his people. Life happens that day this week. I've, I've gotten the calls. I've seen the posts. You have as well. The job, the relationship, the marriage, the child, the parent, the sickness. Listen, Jesus today is in your dark place. The second 
the second application comes out of the observation, and it's that Jesus gets your pain. He really does get it. Hebrews, the writer there, a few decades later, writes these words. Just listen, jot down the reference to take a look at this afternoon, but it's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. This is so powerful. It starts with a negative. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Let me pause. It's written in the negative because the audience the writer was writing to thought that they did. Have a high priest. This is a title given for Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. They said, I have a Jesus who cannot empathize with my weakness. In other words, they would say this. I only have a Jesus that gets it when I'm successful. I don't have a Jesus that gets me at my weakness. He says, no, you've got it wrong. We don't have a high priest that can't empathize with our weakness. And he flips the coin to the positive. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we can receive mercy and find grace to help us at our time of greatest success, most sterling favor, most wonderful effort. No. When do we need mercy and grace to help in our time of need, he says. That's the high priest that we have. Jesus gets your pain. So I don't know how old they are. They've got a couple kids. They were together for a while, and then they got married, and they are married four or five years. Um, she decided that the marriage was desperate, and rather than hanging it up, a oh, month or two ago, she went on one of her social network sites. I, I don't know if it was a Facebook post. I don't know if it was a mommy blog, two little kids, but she went somewhere, and someone... Another young mom here at Evergreen responded back and to this request. Does anybody know where you can get free marriage counseling? Thankfully, she didn't say cheap marriage counseling. I really, I would really be offended by that. Yeah. <laughs> free marriage counseling. You may get what you pay for, but she asked for free marriage counseling. Now, so one of the moms here doesn't know her, just responded back and said, yeah, there's this couple. It's Ann and Jared Rothing. They're at this, you can find them on the website at Evergreen Christian Center. And amazingly, this mom took the referral and emailed one of us. Now, Ann and I rarely double up in sharing with others. That's just, you know, divide and conquer. It's just, you know. But occasionally, we do some two-on-two stuff. Occasionally. We rarely, you know, take a website thing from someone out of the blue that we've never met, but we both felt compelled, just that little nudge inside, take the risk on this one. I'd like for you to meet with this couple. We met with them far from God. They, they weren't coming to get God-forgiven religion. They were coming to see if their marriage could be fixed. That was the pain. They began to tell their story, and we said, well, there's some things that we'd recommend. Would you like for us to meet again? And they said, we'd like that. And we sent them with some stuff. They came back. And second time, we said, you know, we have one more meeting in us, and then we're no good for you. We'll have some other referrals. Would you like to do a third time? Yeah, we'd like that. We gave them some stuff. They came back. When they came back on the third time, <clears throat> We had done some profiles for them, and Anne and she went off, and the guy and I went off, and he's, he's, he's a tough dude. He's a rocker. He's a Harley biker. He just, he's a tough dude. So we're sitting down, and I was, you know, prayed for my safety here on this thing. <laughs> I have some Catholic background. I can cover several bases. I really can. That's right. So 
Did I do that right, by the way? Some, did I, okay, I'm checking in here with some of my experts. All right, okay. Because uh, I was going to seriously mess with him. Seriously mess with him. And we started in on this profile. And it got pretty serious over there. And I checked in. I acted like I was sympathetic, but I was actually checking in to see if I should run or not. I said, you doing okay? Should, should we move on? Should we do more of this? Yeah. We went on. His tears began to well up around. I checked in. Are you doing okay? We got, you want to, you want to? He said, I have to see myself. I have to see what's going on. We got to the end of that thing. He was a mess. The women came over and we sat down and I looked at him and I said, would you like to tell your wife what you learned about yourself? And he started to tell the story. He started crying. She gave him a box of Kleenex. He took him. Here's Mr. Rocker Biker just bawling his eyes out. Now here's what happened. When they came in, life was not good. She was like this. You know what I mean? And she was turned like this. We went through two sessions with her like this. Hmm. Talked to her, talked to him. Did not talk to them. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah. So broken, so bitter, so mad, so ticked. I listened to the, how they spoke to each other. Um, if in a marriage relationship or an according relationship, there's three positives to one negative, that relationship has some chance of surviving. If it's one-to-one, that relationship is on the rocks, it's scooting toward ending. If it's three negatives to one positive, that relationship is over. They were way over three to one. They were that close to divorce. They knew it and we knew it. When he began to tell her what he found out about himself, I watched her chains and her body shifted like this and her hands relaxed down into her lap as he began to cry, she reached out and she grabbed his arm, squeezed his arm. Hmm. They decided that they wanted to do the hard work to move forward. And so we were prepared and we told them that we would to make a referral. And when we refer to professional counselors, uh, we like to do that for people who love Jesus and spirit-filled believers, in some cases, or ordained ministers as well. We're really looking for professionals that love God and are professionals in what they do. So we were ready for our referral. And when we handed them a brochure and a card, the couple looked at it and they burst into laughter. Now, I have never made a referral and had people laugh about it, spontaneously and together. It's going to be take time and money and pain. And I thought maybe they had gotten delirious. I just, so I'm stunned. And Anna and I look at them. They're just laughing hysterically. And they're looking at the card and pointing and laughing and pointing. And, and I said, what's the deal? Here's the story. She said, well, first of all, what I didn't tell you was that as soon as you came, or that we came, she said to me, I recognized you. I used to work at a bank that you used to periodically do transactions at. And she said, uh, I remember you. And I thought, oh, God, I hope I behaved. I, I, hope. I have to tell you, I'm not as good as you. When I go to the bank, I'm usually not thinking about, I want to be Jesus to these people today. I just... Just do the thing, right? Find some money in my account, right? Hope there's a positive balance. Are you with me? That's what I go to the bank for, right? But um, that particular time I would go and the transactions took a while. And she said, you'd come in and you'd start the transaction. You'd talk with us a little while. And then you go sit down over there and you'd work on your computer for a while. And then you'd come back. And I thought, oh, thank God. It was nice. <laughs> so she said, I knew you. I knew you when I first saw you. 
And then she said, and we're laughing about this because a few years ago, we went to a counselor, and it was this guy. And when we decided that we needed to go to a counselor again, we said, let's go to that guy. And we found out that that guy had left the place where he was. And we asked that place if they knew where he went, but they didn't respond back. And I, we looked for him another way. We could not find that guy. And so that's when, we, that's when I went online and I just asked the world, do you know of anybody that's free? And we got to you guys, and then you guys encouraged us to go to that guy. You think Jesus came to them. You think maybe he's in their story. You think just maybe he's in their story. They didn't ask for him. They hurt for him. And so a few years ago, he put them in touch with a a godly, spiritual, professional counselor. A few years later, in desperation, she threw a desperate plea out on a out on a social media site. She just happened to have that picked up by a young mom at Evergreen. She just happened to have the guts to email us. And I just happened to have the unusual sense that we should respond. We just happened to have that in a relationship where she recognized me with some positive association. He just happened to have the guts to come back for round three. And we just happened to refer them to the very people that they had wanted to talk to to start with. You think God is in their story? Yeah. That's what the widow at Nain is all about. She didn't ask. She didn't seek. She just hurt. And Jesus went out of his way to get to her on her worst day, and he got it, and he helped her. And that's who he is today. For you and your parents and your spouse and your significant other and your ex and the kids and the steps and the grandkids and the great-grandkids and the nieces and nephews. That's who he is. Wow. Jesus said it this way. I've come to seek and save the lost. Aren't you glad he didn't wait for you? He's all over your story. So let me end with this. Just uh, seven and eight days ago, I was uh, a part of a 24-hour, it was called a summit. Doesn't that sound impressive? Summit? Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. There were 14 of us there. <clears throat> there was a friend and his wife. The friend is a co-owner of one of the larger digital uh, marketing uh, firms in the greater Portland metro area. <clears throat> and he wants to launch a, a, uh, an online ministry business thing with a nationwide footprint. And he asked uh, his wife and 12 others of us to participate in a 24-hour summit. We started on Friday at noon and we ended the next Saturday at noon. This was a week ago. So during that gorgeous weekend, you remember how beautiful it was last weekend? We were holed up in a little dinky conference room at a downtown Portland hotel with absolutely no windows. Boy, were we focused. Yeah. It was an amazing group of people. There was two college presidents and two executive directors of two large foundations here in the area and a CFO of a Fortune 500 company. It was an amazing group, and I was the token preacher. Yeah. They asked me to pray, right? However, it was facilitated by Father Rick. A Jesuit priest who is just 
so skilled in many things, including group facilitation. He was our primary facilitator. Toward the end of our time, he told us this story. Uh, He's the vice president of Merrillhurst University now, but earlier in life, he worked at some of the Jesuit uh, Christian, or Jesuit uh, schools around, including Jesuit here on the west side. He told us that occasionally he gets a phone call from one of the young women who was a, a former student that knew him, and he said when he gets a call a few years later from one of the former female students, uh, she always has one of two things in mind. Uh, either she's engaged and she wants him to do the wedding, or she's not married and she's pregnant, and he's the first call. So he gets a call from a young woman, and she's actually living in Europe, <clears throat> and she's all cheerful, and she's all chirpy, and she's all happy, and they're catching up, and she talks for two minutes, and she hasn't mentioned a wedding, and he knows that if it's a bride-to-be, that within the first two minutes, the wedding is talked about. And so he interrupted her, and he called her by name. Let's, let's call her Chloe today. He said, Chloe, how many months along are you? Hmm. There was a long silence. And then he heard the <clears throat> heavy breathing and sighs. <clears throat> and then he heard the tears. And finally, the story began to spill out. So full of shame and embarrassment bewilderment, questions, confusions. How am I going to talk to my parents? The loneliness that it feels like to be in another country, all alone in this place. He listened to her whole story. And then this is what Father Rick said to her. It sounds like you looked for love and didn't find it. But love found you. What a way to reframe life, huh? Where do you fit in the first sentence? It looks like you looked for what? A child? A life partner? A life partner that would survive you? A retirement that was funded? physical health that was sustained, kids that made good choices, grandkids that didn't screw up, an occupation that would actually pay your way forward. Where do you find yourself in her story today? Father Rick would say, it looks like you looked for, mm, but didn't find it. Now, here's Jesus at Nain, but love found you. On your worst day, honey, there is life inside of your womb that is a gift of God with a destiny and an everlasting life. And that gift is going to love you. God is going to work in this tragedy and birth in you something beyond your wildest dreams of his goodness and in favor. Because We do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with us in our weakness. But we do have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we have, yet did not sin. Therefore, with confidence, let's come to the throne of mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because Jesus finds you at your worst moment, and he gets it, and he comes to help. Would you let him do that now as we pray together?